apart from striving, we will not see the Lord because ultimately we may have never known the Lord. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Strive for holiness and peace without which no one will see the Lord. There is always a tension in the realm of Christianity between resting in God's work and doing God's work, is there not? We know that there's nothing we can do to earn or merit salvation. It's a free gift of God. But that verse goes on to say that we are created in his workmanship unto good works, that the whole reason you were saved is to bring glory to God through actions in your life. Maybe you've read Henry Blackaby's work, Experiencing God, where his basic phrase is to let go and to let God. And there's a lot of merit in what he's saying because he believes that instead of trying to create God's work, to get in on what God is already doing in communities and places and celebrate that. Because God is always at work. I'm always kind of tempted to laugh when we say, let's allow God to work. Let's let God work. Hey, God is going to work and God is going to do his thing regardless of whether or not you allow him or let him. And he'll do it in another place if he doesn't do it here. But to have that tension between the Holy Spirit moving in our lives and then doing the work of the invisible God. We know that the faith that we have isn't a passive aggressive form of, of Christianity. We have to act on the faith that we have. Imperatives are always throughout the scripture. It's, it's filled with commands, is it not? It says, go ye, make disciples of all nations, serve, live, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and authority. So there are commands throughout scripture, but these commands, these imperatives are always rooted in indicatives. That is the state of action is always rooted in the state of being. In other words, I do what I do because of what Christ has already done for me. And so the reason I serve is because Jesus has served me. The reason I love is because Jesus has first loved us. The reason that we show light to the world is because God has lightened and he has strengthened our hearts. And he tells us that in this, we are to pursue holiness. I like what Augustine says about coming to know God. He says, even when he is sought, he, even when he is found, he must be sought. Isn't that what the Lord tells us? That when you have searched for me with all your heart, that's when you'll find me? Someone else put it this way. Grace is opposed to merit, but it is not opposed to effort. And so the job of every believer is to know what you believe and to live it out because of it. Because true faith must be lived out. And we know that anything worth having is worth striving for. Just wonder, husbands, how did you get your wives to agree to marry you? You say, I bribed her. Okay, we'll get more specific about that. Maybe you sat on a park bench and you just thought to yourself, man, if I just keep thinking 
if I just keep thinking about marriage, this girl that I like will eventually come over and she'll say, man, I was just thinking you wanted to marry me, don't you? You know, that, that, that's, that's not how it works. You don't just sit there and think one day, maybe somebody will come along and they'll have a thought that I won't even have to verbally process and everything will work out. If, you, if that worked out for you, great, you're in the minority. But I think a lot of people have the same expectation of a relationship with God. That if I just sit there, okay, God, do your thing. And if I just hold out long enough, he'll eventually do something with me. <laughs> you don't grow in your faith without action. You don't grow in your faith without pursuing holiness, without striving for the things of God. And because of this, he tells us to strive for peace with everyone. The first part of verse 13, 14. And that is hard to do when our natural inclination is toward war. You think about all of human history that has been promoting peace. Patrick Henry cried it out, well, men may cry peace, peace, but there is no peace. During the Civil War, people called for peace. It didn't happen. After the Civil War, they thought we were building toward Trump's some type of utopia where everything would be great. World War I and World War II totally knocked that out. They put in place the League of Nations. They put in place the United Nations. And yet, what is the main topic of news this week? Is it not potential war with Korea? See, the notion of strife doesn't go away because you and I are created by God with a fallen nature that has fallen in between and causes strife. And here, God tells us that rather than strife being conflict, he says to strive for peace. And so you think about the word strife. It's usually used for conflict, for bloodshed, for, for something that's gotten in between someone else, as opposed to strive, which is to try to achieve, to move forward, to try earnestly and persistently. And here's what will happen in your life. If you don't actively strive toward holiness, strife will be the inevitable result. It's the default state for people who are not pursuing God. Strife itself is a noun, but strive is a verb. So understand this. Change one letter, and your whole world can be turned upside down for the better. Instead of experiencing strife and letting it all come your way, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I'll give you an example. My brother and I, he's three years younger than me. We used to fight some. We used to play basketball, and I was always able to beat him up until a certain age. When he got about 14, I was about 17, I noticed that it was really hard to beat him in basketball. And then I noticed he got stronger too. And I decided at some point that rather than experiencing strife with my brother, I would strive for peace. And I've done that for a number of years and have been able to protect my well-being as a result of that. I want you to think about this. Husbands and wives, what if you decided rather than experiencing strife with one another, as it being the default state as human beings, what if you strove for peace? I'm not talking about peacekeeping. That's not godly, but peacemaking. Being honest with one another and yet pursuing the other's good. First seeking the Lord and then seeking the other person's best good. We remember something about Jesus that he himself is the prince of peace. That through his death and resurrection we have peace with God. That once we were the children of wrath and now we are the children of righteousness. And because of that reality the greatest testimony we can have on earth is being reconciled with one another. That's why Jesus says before you put your money in the offering plate. Thank you for doing that. But before you put your money in the offering plate, make sure that you are as right with your brother or sister as you need to be. That's how important it is. 
Because the world will see this testimony when we love one another. It's the witness of the church. And I want you to notice what the author does. He ties peace and holiness together. So if you are not living a holy life, don't expect God's peace in your house. Man, you, you cannot expect God's blessing on your marriage if you don't do marriage God's way. God has built the world in a certain way. It's the same with work. It's the same with neighbors. It's the same with everything else. And he says, strive for peace with everyone. Here's a question for you. Are you a peacemaker or are you a peace taker? You know, some people, their gift is just to, to make peace with people. They really try to do that. Some people just like to stir it up, don't they? And if you're like that, you just like to stir up and get conflict. Guys like me don't like guys like you. Here's why. Because I have to deal with your victims all during the week in my office. Peacemakers versus peacetakers. And sometimes we know that we can't always achieve peace in a fallen world, but we can strive for it whenever possible. I uh, have had an experience a couple of times with uh, traffic and being on the road where people, for, for whatever reason, you know, I don't do depth perception all that well, so that's a warning if you ever ride with me. And sometimes I pull out in front of people when I really probably should have stayed. And most of the time, people are pretty friendly about that. They always give me the we're the number one sign. I mean, I've, I've, I've had people pull up in front of me and slow down just to give me that signal. And, and what I try to do is I, I usually wave at them. If they pull me over, I'll try to say, God bless you. And I think normally it, it either makes them mad or it, or it pushes them off to the side where they just run off. But are, are you intentionally trying to make people upset? You know, sometimes the way you say things is just as important as what you say. Your tone matters just as much as your content I wonder what are some of the things that keep us from peace in our lives, in our marriages, in our families? I think one of the things is pride. Pride just says, I'm better than you, and rather than wanting another person's good, we just point out where they're wrong. Easy to do makes us feel better about ourselves. Leads into self-justification where we project our own insecurities by constantly faulting the flaws of others. You've got to ask yourself, when you point out another person's flaws, are you trying to be helpful or are you trying to make yourself feel better? There's a big difference. What about spite? You came at me, now I'm coming at you. Well, that doesn't exist in the church. Inability to see reality. And so you think that your husband, you think your wife has to be a perfect 10. And wives, you think that your husband, in order to be the spiritual leader of the family, has to wake up singing Chris Tomlin songs. And neither one of them are realistic. It doesn't work that way. We, we recognize that we live in a fallen world. And what we often don't recognize is the reality of spiritual warfare. That Satan would love nothing more than to break up your family and to take your influence I hope you're here in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about the reality of spiritual warfare in our lives. He tells us we have to strive for peace and holiness. I like what MacArthur says here. Pursuing peace primarily relates to loving men and pursuing righteousness primarily to loving God. Remember what Paul tells us? Every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. They do it to obtain a corruptible, but we an incorruptible. And if an Olympic athlete will train for temporal things, how much more should we believe train and for the eternal things? Tempered in all things, self-controlled. Are you quick-tempered? 
Solomon says, if you are, you're like a city that's broken down without walls. And in the New Testament, Old Testament world, that'll get you killed. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I think one of our biggest problems in the church, and we've talked about it before, is we have just lost our reverence for the things of God. And I'm not talking about coming into church and not saying a word and all that stuff, although I think there's merit there. I'm talking about being all inspired by the glory of the Lord. You look up at the stars at night and you just say, I can't believe that God placed those there. You see a sunrise, a sunset, see some of you post pictures of nature. We live in a world that has been put together by an awesome creator. And he demands holiness out of us. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. I like how C.S. Lewis follows up with it in his book. He says, the pure in heart will see God because they're the only ones that want to. I wonder how many of us truly desire to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You have to pursue holiness. You have to pursue righteousness and peace. And then he says, here's the contrast of this, and I want you to see it. I think there's a couple of interpretations. If you don't strive for holiness, you won't see the Lord. He says, without which no one will see the Lord. He's talking about our witness primarily. By this they will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. But he's also talking about the idea that apart from striving, we will not see the Lord because ultimately we may have never known the Lord. And he says, to fail to obtain the grace of God. Listen, we ought never to assume that everyone in church is part of the church. It doesn't work like that. Our goal is to help you to be prepared for the day of judgment. You say, I don't like people who judge. Well, you'll one day be judged by God better here than there. And he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff. And you say, I've got that handled. I prayed that prayer. Mere words mean nothing with God. Apart from a heart that's broken and contrite. He says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it, many become defiled. And bitterness is just destroying some of you. I mean, it's just killing you. And you can't see it. God says if you don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. He says be careful that no one in verse 16 is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. We know what he did afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected because he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. And Hebrews 10:26 brings this out. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. And so he tells us there's a greater condemnation for those who have received the truth but have willfully ignored it. It's better for you never to hear the gospel at all than to receive the gospel and to reject it. And the irony present here is that as he's told us to strive for the holiness of the Lord, to strive for the peace of God, the irony present is that without the presence of the Spirit of God, you can't gain holiness no matter how hard you strive. Even if you seek it with tears, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. It says Martin Luther, the 500th year of the Protestant Reformation, from which we trace our heritage, climbing up those steps on his knees, trying to get closer to God, he couldn't do it. Because he didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling him. This pursuit 
of holiness. And how do I pursue holiness? Which through the indwelling of God's spirit. It's where I know what God has done for me. And now through his power, this is what I do on his behalf and in his stead. I don't know about you. Do you long to see holiness in God's church? Do you long to see holiness in your life? I wonder what would change for us. I know this is true of the, the younger generation, maybe, maybe some in the, in the wiser, older generation too. What if we, instead of waking up in the morning, what do you do normally? Are you like me? Do you check social media first thing? Brenda Rose shaking her head. Nope, not me. <laughs> well, those of you who do and are in, living in this fallen world, what if you spent time instead? Those first few moments of the Lord, you spent time praying for your day. You spent time saying, Lord, this is the day that you have made. Help me to rejoice and be glad in it. Everything I do, may I do this for you. What if you said, before my feet hit the floor, I'm going to pray for my family, for my church, for others. I think it would make a difference for us. And for those who are burdened by, I pursued the holiness of the Lord. I just don't know how to receive it. I try and try over again. The last words of Buddha before he died were, strive increasingly. He just said, you have to keep on striving. And hopefully you'll find it in the end. But the last words of Christ were different. In which he said, it is finished. And the work that God has already done on your behalf is greater far than the work that you will ever do for him. And he says, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, God has already accomplished everything you need. And now he's given you the power to go and to share his gospel with a lost and dying world. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I wonder if some of us today would just spend time in prayer with our families. Praying, asking God to move, desiring Him above all else. I think we'd see a difference. Strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.